Nice. A little bit of boost to GDP. A little bit of boost. <laughs> Thanks to your college. Yeah. And me saying it will cause more people to go to college and keep keep the effect alive for all the listeners. College. College. <laughs> That's good. good promotion of college. Um, <laughs> did, did you see that Aziz has a new Netflix special? Oh, no, I didn't see that. That's, that's interesting. So let's talk Is about this a stand-up thing. We're going to talk about that first. No, there's actually a thing in it that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's a stand-up special. And he sort of, okay. sort of vaguely mentions his transgressions and his like backlash that he faced from that and all the weird stuff. And that's not, that's not really what I want to talk about, but, um, yeah. he does this sort of social experiment like in Batman, where um, he he basically he tells the crowd or he asks them if they heard about the story where Pizza Hut delivered someone's pizza and the guy opened the box and the pepperonis were shaped like a swastika, and he asks the crowd if they think that it actually looked like a swastika or if they think the guy was just overreacting, and you know he asked to clap if you think one thing, and then he got everyone who thought the other thing to clap, and then after doing that he called democracy more- by applause. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the best form of democracy. <laughs> it was pretty democratic. And then he called on one guy in particular and asked him where he read about the story. He's like, Washington Post. And the guy's like, yeah, it was in the Washington Post. And then he was like, I made up that entire story. It didn't actually happen at all. I just was testing you guys to see if you <laughs> if you would react to a story you, you never heard of and pretend that you have an opinion on this. And he was sort of criticizing <laughs> this whole idea that everyone has to have a stance or a viewpoint on everything, even if they have no idea what it is. Like this is a, this is a fake story. It didn't happen at all. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a good bit. Yeah. That's a good, that's a nice insight. A nice social critique. Do you think that that's that big of a problem that people, well, I guess it's two things. Do you think it's that big of a problem if people are like this now? And do you think that this is a new phenomenon that people are like this where they have to have an opinion on everything, like a strong feeling about all social issues hmm. I don't know I don't know if it would be a new thing uh, but it, it's, it, I guess it is kind of irritating some things I think it's normal to find it's like normal and healthy to find some things not that interesting and like not to engage with them that much so so, so yeah it, it could be a problem if, if people are trying to like searching for like a perceived right right, right response to everything when, when there might not actually be any response necessary yeah, like both of us have been very comfortable saying, I don't know, for forever, and it almost seems too obvious to say, this is what people need to do more often, but still, people just don't know how to do that. Like, we don't yeah. know everything, yeah. obviously. Yeah, you have to, you're trying to, like, find the right answer that, like, uh, re- represents your, your identity that you want to portray, and so you're searching for an answer that fits with your preconceived identity, yeah, it doesn't seem like a good idea. I'm admittedly a little nervous to like get into specific things about this and about the other stuff that we were talking about, like politics and morals and all that, because it I I don't know I don't know what I think about a lot of things. I mean, you you have a clear idea of what you think because you you're focusing on this more in your day to day life than I am, but. It, it's mm. it's crazy how much research and time and effort it takes to still not know anything. Yeah, that's true. That's true, especially with particularly co- complex and important topics. It, it takes like a very long time, I, I think, to get a good, good knowledge, good foundation. I've spent like four or five hours today reading and watching things about this guy, Andy No, the 
journalist or whatever you want to call him who was beaten up. And I still like don't understand what it, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know who he is. Uh, there's so many conflicting sources that say different things about him and say different things about what happened. And I feel like I just wasted an entire day trying to figure out this situation that has no direct implication on my life. I just want to know what happened. And even after all this time looking at it, I still, I still don't have any idea. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they're like, there's like endless rabbit holes and I go down a lot of them. Like I could have wasted my, I could, I didn't, I didn't, spend that much time on this today but i started looking at it once you brought it up and i felt myself going down that same rabbit hole but it, but yeah this this particular thing i've decided not to engage with it. yeah why why not this particular thing it just it's not relevant enough yeah i mean to, to me it seemed like the way that i read about it it seemed like two sides were trying to make to adopt the story to their narrative like the left and the right in a way, but the important, the actual important thing from the story for me is like this one group used violence to oppose someone they didn't agree with, and, and that, that seems like the important thing to me. So, so like, it doesn't matter exactly why they did it beyond that, because I it's clear from the articles that um, no didn't do anything. He wasn't threatening them physically or anything. Yeah, no one's accusing them of that. So. I- so I think it's just enough for me that violence shouldn't be the response to that. And that's like enough. It's not that interesting otherwise. Right. The issue itself isn't that interesting. It's like someone got attacked and that's terrible and that's the end of it. Like it's not, there isn't really a discussion about whether it's, I mean, there is for some people, for some people there's a claim that if someone is bad enough, it actually makes sense to beat them up or to throw things at them. Maybe not to try to kill them, but to, deter them from voicing their political opinions because their political opinions are so dangerous that the world would be better off not hearing them and therefore we can do whatever we want to them. Like there are people that think that, but I'm not very interested in that either because it's just kind of a shitty position. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like this guy, I don't know that much about him, but, but if I had to guess what I would think of him looking more into him, I might think that the world would be better off not hearing his ideas, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, any cost is justified in silencing him. I just think maybe he should choose to like better ideas, but that's as far as, as, as I think is justified. Right. What you're saying is you'd be, you, well, you don't know, but if you had to guess, you'd be happy if he just decided not to be a journalist anymore for no reason. Yeah. Or if people didn't listen to him. Yeah. Which is totally fine. Yeah. Or you could protest him too, if you want, but, but I don't think anyone is, uh, like there's like all these unintended consequences or even, there's all these consequences of violence and reciprocity in violence that, that are just bad. Yeah, violence is bad because, I mean, I don't want to get into this rabbit hole, but violence is bad sure. not just because it's bad to the person it happens to, but it brings on more violence. Like, it it changes the way society functions if violence is permitted in one way, then it sort of spirals. I mean, I'm not an expert on this topic, obviously, but it, <laughs> that's kind of how it seems. Yeah, you and I are both. Yeah, you and I are just basically going by the like the golden rule of the law of reciprocity, and it's bad. It's selfishly bad for those reasons, and it's and it's. I mean, it's morally bad, I guess, for even more. It's just intrinsically bad, also. I think 
we yeah. probably would agree. It's selfishly bad but, because you don't want to live in a world where violence is allowed because violence can happen to you also. Yeah, yeah. The same. It's the same reason. It's the same reason why people would justify like universal health insurance in a way. It's like a like a Rawlsian philosophy. You think of the world as like under the veil of ignorance, and if the world like kind of reset and you could end up anyone in the world, right? You would want to be you'd want to be covered by by uh, universal health care. So so you vote for it for that reason. It's like selfish in that way. In the same way. Violence isn't bad for that reason. Violence is bad for that reason alone, because it could happen to you also. So I'm trying to think where I should, what I should force us to talk about now, because I feel like that's kind of what this is. Because I'm going to throw an idea at you that we've discussed already. It's like one of two things, basically. And then we're going to end up on that for a while, probably. Um, okay. I think, I think the thing that's really difficult is this idea we've discussed that political stances have some sort of inherent morality attached to them, like that certain yeah. ideas are more moral than other ideas. So in this particular case, I guess why it's relevant is this is a far left group. And I guess I don't know how re representative this specific portion of Antifa that beat up Andy No is of like all of Antifa. I don't, maybe these are just particularly violent people who acted independently. I, I don't actually know that, but the mainstream media seems to give more credit to the morality of a far left extremism group compared to a far right one, even if, even if the amount of violence were the same, like I, and maybe I'm wrong to think that, but, um, so I guess you can respond to that, but obviously if, if the far right is shooting people and killing them and the far left is just beating people up and possibly killing them, but not intending to kill them, though, you know, actually killing people on purpose is worse. But I, I'm saying if the crimes were the same, that the the leftist okay. motivations yeah, are considered are. better. I don't think they are in this case. Yeah, yeah. You don't think what? You don't um, think that the motive? Well, I'll, yeah, you say. In this case, I don't think Antifa has killed anyone, and I don't far either. right has. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At least, at least on record, I don't. I don't think that um, they have. But if just for argument's sake, if they if they had, I don't know. I don't think they would be. I don't think that would, I think it would be you could look at it so, like separately from the ideas and I think the media would well I don't know how they would react if if the left did some like terrorist attack or so far left did some like terrorist attack or some sort of shooting or tr like a truck uh, ran into a crowd with a truck something like that I mean certainly possible that would happen and probably will happen like inevitably uh, at some point. But yeah, I, I don't think I think you can look at that separately from the ideas and like condemn that act without without really. I don't think it's necessarily related to the ideology. Okay, um, I think you can separate the political viewpoints, and maybe this is what you're saying. Also, you can separate the political viewpoints from the morality, or yeah, can you yeah, not entirely. You, yeah, I think you can. I, I think sometimes. You could you could maybe group them together if the ideology is saying specific things like uh, if it's like advocating for violence, but but it usually it isn't. Um, like except for extreme extreme historical cases, uh, like Nazi Nazi ideologies, for example, mm. um, or or um, like other terrorist organizations today, like ISIS's ideology is certainly not that different than its actions. It's pretty well aligned. Right. But, I, but I think, 
in in the cases of like American politics, there's definitely nothing so extreme in the either either rhetoric of the right or the left. I guess. Right. There's nothing. There's nothing that's normal politically. That's just immoral on its own. It's it's why you're it's why you believe that that makes it immoral. Like the cause of your ideas is what can make it an immoral idea. The idea itself isn't. So it depends why you think something. It doesn't. You can just be wrong. I, we we did a whole podcast about morality, fortunately, already. So this has been we've covered this, and it's it's. Uh, I don't know how many people have listened to it now, but it's at least out there. Um, yeah. But I don't think. I don't think we. I don't think we even remember what we said. No, it, it, was, it was a blur. <laughs> it was entirely <laughs> a blur. I don't know. Um, but I, I I imagine that what we said, and I still think this is that. Um, the, you can't align consequences with morals. The the root the reason that you do something is what is like the area where morality comes in. I think consequences are just amoral. Like if you do something by accident, that has nothing to do with your morals. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that seems. Yeah, that seems. But it but it seems like I don't know if I want to say the average American, but you know the average liberal American in our demographic. Or the average liberal Finn. No, I'll I'll keep to Americans. We'll, we can go back a few years to when you lived here. The average person that we would know would consider certain political positions to be less moral than others. Like conservatives are worse people than liberals. I think there's like a general sentiment of that going on. I don't know if they would. If if you think like if you think, I don't know if they would say that. If you think about the person, the conservatives that you know, or the ones that, or if I think about the ones that I know. It's not obvious that they're somehow less ethical in their day-to-day behavior. It's not like they they treat me with less respect necessarily, or they're like less charitable or nice or anything like that. And there's plenty of examples of, of, of people that are really that are, are really good. They're just as good as any like I'm thinking of my personal relationships, and they're just as I would consider them just as moral as any of my leftist friends in interpersonal matters, but. It's it's only the politics that I would maybe find morality issues with, but but in terms of interpersonal relations, that doesn't re- you don't really see that. I mean, I'm not that versed on on research on on, on how uh, Republicans and Democrats are in terms of like interpersonal relations. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that there's I don't think that there's any any crazy differences there. I think that there might have been. Uh, there might have been something I came across that was like showing that Republicans were somewhat more like charitable in terms of like giving their donations or something. But but I, I don't even know if that's legit or not. But anyway, it might as well it could as it might as well be. Yeah, I mean I have no problem believing that, and it might just be true that conservative people have more money and can give more. I mean the. They might be conservative because they have more money and they care more about financial things. And then because they have more money, they also give more of it away just because they have it. So I don't, I don't know what the causations are there. It could be, it could be anything. Yeah. But, but I mean, like I'm a, I'm a leftist and, 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 uh, and I wouldn't have a problem accepting that they are actually, they are actually more open to giving charity just like out of the goodness of their arts, giving private charity, not, not public but private but you still could find moral flaw in their political positions that's that's kind of what i'm getting at like i'm not that kind of just yeah. doesn't it doesn't make that much sense to me so i'm curious like how you get to that 
Yeah, well, well it's, it's hard in general to, to um, make that, that argument. And, and you need to have a pretty defined, a pretty particular ideology to have a moral flaw with it. Again, if you go to like extreme groups like ISIS, they, they think they're doing, they're well-intended. They think they're doing the right thing, but they're like, like committing terrorist attacks and killing people. They think that's what's for the best, like for everyone. Right. Um, so that in itself, even if it's well-intended, it doesn't necessarily make it uh, an equivalent moral idea. I guess the problem that I would have with the the the, the like kind of nuance that makes Republican ideology uh, more precarious for me is that greed is such a big part of it, and self-interest is such a big part of it. So it's like if you have an ideology that's so much based on self-interest, and it's like saying that the best thing the best thing that you can do is is to simply be greedy and selfish, which, well, well I think it's, I think the ideo- ideology stems from the, the wrong places, but I see, an, I see a problem with that, I guess, that, 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 that greed and that self-interest, even though Republicans, are, like, especially in the economic sense, even though they think that, that that's actually what's the best for society because they read Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, and that was their take on it, which is not the right take from Adam Smith any, in any case, but, but that's the sort of economic thinking that's at the backbone of like standard Republican politics, like yeah. economic ideology. Yeah. I have no problem agreeing with that, that Republicans are just wrong a lot of the time about what they think works. Yeah. Um, okay. But so I, I guess I'm, I've been hung up on this idea more recently that there's greed on both sides politically and even if there's more on the Republican side, it's still worth acknowledging that greed is everywhere. Like I think that there's a legitimate argument that people who are far left in terms of what they think economically, some of them are this way because they are jealous of people who have more than them and they want, they want more distribution of wealth for selfish reasons. Like they, they, they are bitter towards people who are smarter or have better upbringing or who are just luckier than them. And they want it to be equalized because they view that this is some grand injustice. And some of it is injustice. I'm sure a lot of it, I don't know how to quantify that. And some of it is systemic oppression. Some of it's actual oppression from people specifically, but some of it is just, some people are lucky. Some people are very unlucky and the unlucky people get bitter sometimes. So I, I think it's it's wrong when no one will acknowledge that that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I can acknowledge that that's part of it also. I, I mean, I, I reject any sort of like spectrum that like the further left you go, the more it becomes that. But it, there are certainly people that think that on the left, um, and it's just self interest. It's like I'm poor and I'm unskilled, so I support the welfare state just for my own interests, but. It's not. It isn't as fundamental a part of the leftist doctrine as greed is and self-interest is to the to the mainstream like economic thought. And I mean, it's sort of easy to, to see that because most leftist politicians, a lot of them are are pretty wealthy. Most of them are wealthy and educated, but they're still representing they're still representing constituency that doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily benefit them as much the politicians themselves. 
to represent this constituency. But on the right, it's much more like they're advocating this ideology that actually makes them richer. It happens to make them richer. And it's, it's just like coincidental that it makes them richer, but they also say that it, it, benefits, uh, it benefits society. But at the same time, they're using it to like cut back the welfare state and, and cut taxes for the rich. And so it's easy to get sucked into the idea that they don't, they don't actually think that it's the best thing for everyone. They're just advocating this sort of economic conservatism, free market ideas, because it's in their best interest. Um, and I, I always try to resist that because I, I don't think that I ultimately don't think that they they have malevolent intent. I, I do think they they think that like a rising tide lifts all boats. I, I do think they genuinely believe that on the right, but but it's pretty tempting given the the ideology lines up so well with, with their economic interests. Yeah, the temptation is to just accuse them of being selfish because there's a there's a strong correlation there. And it's a temptation that most people, I mean, I don't want to generalize that much. I just don't know how else to phrase it. It's People seem to fall for it in whatever capacity you want to assign to that. I don't know how many people it is, but people fall for that temptation regularly, I would say. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, even me personally, like I... I, I um... I fall for it sometimes. I try to go, I, I try hard not to, but there are certain things that um, Republican politicians do that make it so hard to, to think that, that they actually are like trying to do the best, what's best. Well, especially like trying to sabotage the Obamacare markets is a big thing and throw 20 million people off insurance, which will lead to, it'll definitely lead to worse quality of life and like deaths. And, and, that's just so that, that they can have like lower taxes for themselves and save money on the welfare state so they can justify keeping tax cuts that Trump passed. And, and, and the idea of just passing tax cuts at all or being so stingy in the wel- welfare state at all um, in like one of the richest countries, but also one of the most ridiculously unequal countries, especially compared to even the U.S. itself in 1980, those sort of things... It, it, it strains my credulity that they're actually trying to um, do what's best for like the American society in the long term, stuff like that. It, it becomes hard to, to wrap my head around. Yeah, there's clearly a spectrum within people who are fiscally conservative where on one end they're just selfish and they just want more for themselves. And on another end, they may just be totally wrong. Like they're, they're morally very righteous people and they're good people and they're trying to do whatever they possibly can to help society and they may just have really bad ideas about how to do it. Like I think there's a pretty wide spectrum there where some people are just bad actors in bad faith and other people on the other end are really trying and they just have bad ideas. And then there's a whole huge middle ground between that, which would include people who are just delusional, like they they've convinced themselves that what their motives are when their motives are something else. Like, I actually think that that probably makes up a lot of Republican politicians um, where they, they are self deluded into thinking that what they're doing is good. That the reason that they're doing what they're doing is because it's good for the world. When in reality, if they really thought about their motivations, it's because they they're selfish. And I think part of it also is they want to win politically. Like, I think a lot of what, their policy stances are might just be to score points with voters. I mean, I do, I do think most of them are, I mean, it's, it's hard to say what's going on in anyone's 
mind. But I think if you're going to have like a functioning society, you kind of have to accept that the opposition is trying to do what's best or try, you have to try to accept that or else it becomes very hard to like have a functioning democracy even if you don't even respect that you're both sort of like going for the same long-term goal. I, I think that's a lot of what's creating social divide now. We're j- just like a divisive country because people are less and less willing to accept that the person they're arguing with has good intentions. It's not even that they disagree with their arguments. They think that the other person is out to get people in some way. Yeah, but I think that's a natural byproduct of society diverging into in two um, ideologies to such a far extent. Because if you, if you have two very different ideologies, and I, then it, I think it kind of makes sense that, that things are going to get kind of dirty in terms of the conflict there. It's just too human a situation to like maintain such decorum when when the parties are so far apart. And and I do think you said that maybe they're just trying to win. Uh, Republicans are just trying to win, or, or Democrats or whatever. But I, I do think in the past, and, and there's research on this um, political science research that shows in the past in the U.S. the parties cared when they were closer in ideology. They cared more about forming their ideology to win win seats but in the in their 80s or so it started becoming more ideology dominant it was less about just about like satisfying the the will of the people um or the median voter than than just like actually um sticking to the idea your ideology the ideologies became more dominant over time and like today there it seems more polarized than, than than normal in terms of ideology so when people just when people genuinely disagree more, they give each other less of the benefit of the doubt, and it just it just spreads in that way. Yeah, I mean, if 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 two groups have such different ideas about what's good, and you see one group thinks it's good to have like um, an inevitable like concentration of wealth and and like no social services, if, if they're so far apart, it, it really looks so unfamiliar to you, like how that can be how that can be like a, like a, those can be good ideas, like, right, like well, um, intent, well intended ideas. Another example is if, if you're someone who's very adamantly pro-choice, it becomes hard to give credibility to a person who's pro-life. Like you just, you can't understand how they can be a good person and hold that viewpoint. If you, I mean, let's say you're a woman who's had whatever the worst case you can imagine is with being raped or something and you've had to have the baby or there was some fear that you might have to because the laws weren't in your favor. And then you hear a political opinion or just an opinion from a person who thinks the opposite. You like their reality is so different from yours that it would probably be very hard to imagine that they're acting in good faith and that they want what's best for the world too. And they just have a different idea of how to get there. It seems very easy to just assume that that person is a, is a crappy person. Yeah. I think you really have to, it's harder to not a, it's harder to like to not assume that, uh, and that goes for both of those situations too. Like, if it was a, a pro-lifer that, for like religious reasons, doesn't believe in abortion, and and they're just are morally appalled by like what they see as yeah. uh, like killing, they would also have, I guess, they would also have problems with that. Right. I have no problem believing that a very strongly pro-life person who or 
yeah, pro-life person who is that way for religious reasons truly believes that, uh, that abortion is murder. Like those, those people think that. And I mean, maybe there's some argument. I don't want to have an abortion debate now, but, um, it's definitely true, at least to some extent that there are people who view it as exactly synonymous with murder to have an abortion and it's for religious reasons. And if you, if you aren't thinking about the issue from a religious perspective, it's, it's, it can be very hard to understand from both sides. Like if you're the religious person, you can't understand how someone views it in a non-religious context. Yeah, I think that's a good, I think both, both directions are a good example of, of like how it'd be hard to empathize the other side. But yeah, but yeah, I guess it comes down to like those religious ideas that are driving that for a life choice and like anti like, uh, they care. Well, I guess they care less about the, the woman, the woman, woman's rights and her individuality and freedom. And, and, and yeah, so those actual religious reasons, like what the, what literal teaching is like making them think that I guess is more interesting in terms of morals. Why is that what they come to believe? I don't know. Yeah. yeah I don't know either, but it, it would probably be a good thing for society to actually, for people who disagreed that strongly, you know what it's, it, no, it would definitely be a good thing for society. If the people who disagree in this way would try to try to understand where the other person is coming from. And it just, it, no one does that. I don't know if that's a recent phenomenon or it's getting worse or whatever, but certainly now no one, no one does that. If there's someone that you really, really strongly disagree with, how often are you going out of your way to find out why they believe what they believe? There's yeah, not enough time I in think, the day. There are more important things. I mean, maybe they're not actually more important, but there are more pressing things. Yeah, I guess it's not, it's not necessarily necessary to go out of your way to understand um, your opponent, I think. If you think they're, if their ideas are so, well, where do you draw the line though? Because I, I get that point. If, if their ideas are so out of touch with reality, then you don't even have to acknowledge them. But a lot of the time we're not the best judges of what ideas are worth considering and what ideas aren't. Like I'm sure both of us have viewpoints now that if you had asked us about them 10 years ago, we would have said, that's totally ridiculous. makes no sense to me. I would never believe that. And now it's one of the things that we have no problem thinking about and it's the stance yeah, well, that we have. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a natural process. Like if you keep, for example, climate change skepticism, I've, I've looked into that um, numerous times to see the research, to see what the science is behind the, the skepticism. And every time I look a little more, I'm like, I feel like I wasted my time because there isn't actually any credible arguments against it. And the main, the, the, U, the UN has a, intergovernmental uh, panel that publishes a lot of the, the biggest climate change research, the most well-known. And the response to that was the non-governmental panel for climate change research. And I looked into their, I looked into their um, organization and the guy that runs their organization, this is just an example of, mm -hmm. of why I don't look into this subject anymore. But the guy that runs their organization, he's like a, he's a physicist, I think. And, uh, and he went to a really good school, an Ivy League school. But he, he also was the guy that the smoking industry hired to lobby on behalf of uh, secondhand smoke. That, like he, he was arguing that secondhand smoke is actually not a threat. Um, so this is, his, this is his past credentials. And the organization itself is funded by uh, 
big oil. It's funded by the, the big oil companies like Exxon and and uh, Tea Party Republican Institutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this is the most prominent research. There there aren't really any research organizations in the world that have any semblance of credibility, in my view, that are that are really arguing with the the UN's consensus, except to argue that it doesn't go far enough. Yeah. So even though this is an this is an issue where you can't you you would have a hard time possibly imagining that the other side of what you think is right, and you still did all this legwork to find out, and that's got to be many multiples more than what most people would put into figuring out if the people on the other side of a very very obvious thing, if the people if their argument has any merit, and you you looked into that. That's what I'm saying. Most people should do that about things that are a lot more ambiguous where th- things are, are less black and white and it, there's more of a gray area and people don't even do the research into those things. You're talking about something that we know basically for a fact that climate change is at least as bad as the UN is saying, and you still went and tried to find out if the other side had any merit to their research. So I guess the point is, how should, yeah. shouldn't people be doing that about everything and things that are more worth having an argument about? Well, for the UN thing, well, I, I kind of feel like I wasted my time, like, and I'm kind of frustrated that I spent so much time on it. And that's, I mean, whatever, it's fine. Everyone to to expend that sort of effort. I guess I'm I, I'm interested in I'm interested in, in policy issues, and well, like I'm studying I'm studying those things. But but it, it's fine that not everyone is necessarily so. In, and I, I do think it's reasonable to only question organizations if they give you a reason to question them like if the un if they had some obvious incentive like some really powerful incentive to i don't know if there's no need to look into everything that you're skeptical about but but if you're not going to look into it then i think it's good practice to try to at least give your opponent the benefit of the doubt yeah you definitely focus on policy way more than the average person like I think when most people are arguing about things, they're talking about social issues or things that affect them directly. I mean, people do argue about climate change and the fact that you, well, the fact that you looked into why the other side is thinking what they think and there's all these inherent biases about the funding and all of that, um, you have an argument to kind of shut them up almost immediately. So I, I wouldn't call it a total waste of time that you did that, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it may feel like a waste of time, but now in the future, you don't have to argue for as long when you talk to people who are climate change deniers. Yeah, I guess it's just, I don't know whether it is or it isn't. It just feels like frustrating. It, it's a significant, like, uh, it definitely takes time. The The point here, and it kind of is relevant to what we were talking about before with, um, I guess, the pro-life, pro-choice, and like people who really disagree with each other, is that I don't think correct positions are always self-evident in this way. Like with climate change, that's as obvious as anything that we know about. I mean, the science is, it's it's 100% basically, or approaching it or whatever. Like we know that this is a big problem and it's a human caused problem to some extent and it's a big deal. But I think there yeah, are a like lot if of- you look at, If you look at strikeout, strikeout rate, um, I've been trying to predict strikeout rate for the past few days. And you, if you look at last year's strikeout rate for a baseball pitcher, you can only explain 50% of the next year's strikeout rate. And even if you add in, – in last year's strikeout rate alone will tell you 50% of what's going to happen. But, but even if you add a bunch of, of other variables in, like balls 
foul strikes, swinging strikes, you still can't really get past 50% of the variance. Basically, no matter what. There's just like an inherently uncertain thing, an unknown thing, beyond like that 50% boundary. But climate change is not like that. It's like <laughs> it's like 99%. It's like as close as we can be like to, to, to actually knowing something. Yeah, the analogy would be something like, the pitcher's name in one year is predictive of the, what the pitcher's name will be in the next year. Like sometimes pitchers change their names between seasons. It's have, there's like two examples ever that we could think of maybe, but most of the time that's a pretty yeah. good indicator that the guy's name on his Jersey will be the same the next season. Yeah. I think climate change is more like that. Yeah. What was Zach, Zach Wheeler? Did Zach Wheeler become Zach with a K or I don't some, think so. something like that? No, I'm thinking of um, Felipe so, so. Rivero becoming Felipe Vasquez. Yeah, that's a huge. I mean, that's a mega. That's like gravity doesn't exist. But but Zach Wheeler going from like a Zach with an H to Zach with a K is also pretty uh, stunning. Yeah, but these are the exceptions. These things almost never happen. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, I mean, yeah. There's there's a very strong scientific consensus that uh, players' names will remain the same over time. Yeah, and it's like if if you're wrong about the player's name. That's really bad. Then you don't even know who the guy is anymore. Yeah. Um, but if you're right about if you're right about it, um, I think we've strayed from then... the point on this analogy. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't okay. know. I'm struggling. Let, let's uh, <laughs> let's return. Let's. Why don't you sure. focus the conversation? Sure. So so other issues that are less clear <laughs> than player names and climate change that are more like strikeout rate and then other other things that we'll mention. Um, most issues are not self-evident. Like I think for a lot of people being pro-life um, is just obviously the wrong position. Like to, to a lot of, and, and probably vice versa too. People just on that issue don't understand how you can even think the other thing. Um, and I think there are other issues like that, maybe like the gender pay gap where you hear the statistics that women make, whatever the amount is now cents less on the dollar than men make. And you just can't understand how someone could have a different viewpoint on that. A lot of these issues are really complicated and people just haven't done any of the, any of the due diligence to find out what, what's actually going on there. You, you know, like the swastika on the pizza thing, which isn't even a, it's not even a real issue. And people think that they already know what the right answer is there. It's just, there's so much gray area and I don't think we acknowledge it enough. Yeah. I think, I guess that's the insight of the, as these skittish trying to offer that if if our minds already made up about everything, then we can't really like learn a learn a new thing. Right, and our minds are made up sometimes right. about things that no one knows the answer to. Like people who have their minds made up that there's a god. Like no one knows that. How could you have your mind made up about something that doesn't even have anything resembling an objective truth? I mean, that I and I think political issues are just as complicated sometimes where. It's a matter of preference, like what you think the tax the tax rate should be or what you think minimum wage should be. Like there's no right answer to that. It changes over time. It depends on where you live. It depends on who you are. It definitely depends on what country you're living in. There's no clear right and wrong as to those sorts of things. So for – I mean it's kind of a cop-out to say, yeah, I sort of think this. I sort of think that. It could be either way. I'm open to more evidence but I feel like that should be most, that's the correct stance on most things is being agnostic to some extent. And it's kind of, I don't know, I don't know if I would say it's always been odd to me, but recently it's, it's odd to me a lot of the time 
that people are so sure about things that don't have right answers. They, it's not just that they don't know the right answer. There is no right answer. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I guess with some of those things, though, people do have they do they do come to believe things. Some some sort of evidence leads them to their beliefs over time. So some of the time, it's not like. Well, well I mean, well, when's the time when that then that's not when that's not the case? Um, I guess pay gap issues and wages, those sorts of things. Yeah, I guess it is evidence, but it's very it's very small and not very expansive evidence that they're basing it on. They're basing it off one data point that doesn't cover all the variables. So maybe maybe it's insufficient evidence that people are using. But sure, I guess I would grant that it's it's still evidence. It's just not it's not um, very rigorous evidence. Yeah, but but it's it isn't just it isn't just that they saw one study. It's like usually the study is coming from a place that they trust. And the reason that they trust that is because is because maybe it's a newspaper they've been reading for a long time, or maybe it's it's a, a political party that they've been that they know is aligned with their views because they they know their policies and they and they trust the politicians that they chose or that they support. And over time, they they become pretty pretty sure of certain ideas. And I mean, I think it's somewhat reasonable. I already know, for the most part, I know that. I'm not going, it's, it's, I'll look into stuff like Republican ideology stuff. I'll try to understand that perspective. And occasionally I do come across like evidence from that side that, that, um, kind of shakes my preconceived beliefs, but 99% of the time, like I'll agree with, I, I the Republican um, perspective on something in America, just, it doesn't really have, I mean, it's lost intellectual credibility for me. Because just from looking into them, from looking into their ideas and the basis for their ideas over the years, so it's not like I'm. It's not like you see one pay gap study and then you're like, that right. okay, I, I accept this. It's coming from a place that you trust for some reason, like because of certain evidence that you you've experienced. Well, I think a lot of the time the re- I, I think you're right, but I think a lot of the time the reason is just logical fallacy or biases and human intuition just not being very good at judging certain things like this example that I've probably mentioned on half the podcasts I've ever done where people are more likely to donate to save one person than to save a very large group of people even if it's the same amount of money they'd rather try to save one person because it's more human you know you hear about the person like the the one starving kid in Africa and you hear the story of them and it becomes like, you know them, you're familiar with this person and people are actually more charitable in that case, as opposed to, you know, trying to help an entire genocide because it's not as personal. Like that's a, that's a logical fallacy that we would want to overcome if we could. It's just kind of ingrained that people, you know, people want to support those that are closer to them. And it, it makes sense why we would be that way. Like it's the closer something is to you, the more dangerous it is. But in this particular case, it leads us in the wrong direction. And I think a lot of the time that happens, it's just something is painted as being unjust when it's not actually unjust and to fight against it when it's, when it's wrong to fight against it ends up with these other consequences. So I'm sure there are, there are a lot of injustices that cause women to be treated worse than men in the workplace, but there are a lot of things that are overblown too 
and they're both worth acknowledging. Like not everything that is different about why men and women are paid, men and women are paid different amounts. Not everything about that is just because the system is rigged. Like some of it is that, but a lot of it is other things also. So it it's, it's a lot of confirmation bias in there too, I guess is my point. One thing seems unfair. So let's just attach ourselves to all the things that support that. That all makes sense. And, and the example you gave of the fallacy is a good one. But I guess there are relatively, like a lot of these topics that have already been politicized and organizations that people trust have already aligned themselves with. They already have sufficient reason to, to buy into it. With the pay gap, a lot of that, well, well so, some people on the left might think that it's all like malevolent. The reason that that women are paid less is, is because sexism in society. And, and I mean, it's a lot more complicated than that. They're paid less for, for a lot of reasons. And some of those reasons are, well, I mean, it's, it's easy to take the nuanced list position that they're paid less and it should be fixed. Like the women's U.S., the U.S. soccer team should be paid uh, the same as men's, for example. If you just say that on nuanced point of view, it could seem like you think it's all just malevolence, like patriarchal society and trying to keep women down. And, and, and some of it is that, but, but some of it is, is like they're choosing different, choosing different jobs maybe. And, and, and uh, if you control for everything, like if you control for years of schooling, if you control for occupation between men and women, then, then the pay gap is still there, but it, it's a lot smaller than some of the bigger numbers you see. But it's, it's still there. But I think the people that complain about it anyway, um, they still see it as, as part of the – I think they still rightly see it as, as part of an issue of, of the social structures of society, that, that women are – if they're choosing different jobs – why, why is that? And, and they don't think that's how it should be. And I, I think that's fair also because I, I, I do think like social norms historically have a big role on like, why things are how, how they are. So I, I do think it's, even if you just take the nuanced free view that women are paid a lot less than men, I, I think it's reasonable to, to say like for in this example that, well, it's, re, it's reasonable to support the black and white you because it, it moves you more towards um, like a better society in your in your in your view I guess. right but it, it would mess up your priorities so I'm pretty sure I, I don't know if these numbers are exactly right but the last time that I read about it that women make I think it was 73 cents on the dollar at that point all else being equal and if you remove if you controlled for choices if you controlled for everything and you just left in um, societal oppression and sexism and those things, if you just left in that, it was something like 96 cents on the dollar still. So there's there's still some gap there where they're unfairly making only 96% as much as men are. Um, okay, yeah. But and, that, and that's still a problem and we should want to fix that. But let's say hypothetically it was 99%, not 96%. How much would it be right to care about that? Like let's say it was it was such a small, maybe it's not 99%, maybe it's 99.9%. And the cases of sexism in the workplace were so rare that while they happen, they just weren't, they weren't a very big deal. And they were, you know, more case by case. And it wasn't a societal thing. It wasn't a larger level thing. It was just a couple sexist bosses that are around wherever some men that are bosses just don't pay their women employees as much. And those people are causing us to 
think of this as some much larger problem. Like, let's just say that was the case hypothetically. We probably wouldn't be right to care about this issue much at all. People would still need to care about it, but it would it would be knocked down below a lot of other things on the list of priorities. So my point is just that it's important to know what the facts are. Like, it's important to know what part of it is actually true. I mean, I get the the inclination to want to over overhype certain things for effect, like to overreact basically on purpose to certain issues. And this isn't just a women's pay thing. This is every every oppressive thing that goes on in society. I think there's a tendency mm. to want to put in more of a complaint or more force in protesting it than the issue might warrant because overreacting gets things done quicker. And I, I get that, but if we're overreacting so disproportionately, then we're worrying about the wrong things. I think a lot of that is part of the problem. I agree with you that there are consequences of if you're, if you care less about the truth and, and you care more about making good arguments, it might make sense from like a winning standpoint, but there, there, there are consequences to that. But, but in the example that, well, in the example that you gave, and I'm not, I'm not sure if this is important to go back to, but but it, it, it's not the things that you said that are controlled for in, in explaining the pay gap. Those things are an issue too, though. Like why why aren't why aren't women getting as many years of schooling or or getting as well paying degrees or as well as well paid jobs? Those things aren't aren't just to be. I mean, you can control for them to to see to to find a more narrow focus on. What what is likely just direct sexism, but but those other things are, I think most people on the left would agree that those other things are issues too. So it's not like they're manipulating the truth by choosing the bigger gap number. I I think it's fair to choose the bigger gap number. Well, this is um, this is something I'm actually just realizing for the first time, and it's to your point. I you could you could control for systemic biases in each particular thing that's being that's being controlled out for in the pay gap study. So it's not it's not actually fair it may not be fair to say women go to school for less years they you know were controlling for choices and maybe their upbringing and like th there's a there's a systemic bias probably within each individual issue as part of the overall pay gap issues. Like maybe there's systemic oppression that causes the choices to be different. I think that's that's what you're getting at. Definitely, and I think pretty much anyone on the left would agree with that. Yeah, and I agree with it too. And maybe we need a more nuanced study where if those things were accounted for more, instead of it showing 96 cents on the dollar, it would show like 88 or something. And it would still it would be more of a problem than the right acknowledges, but it would still be less of a problem than the left generally acknowledges. Even if we just use the numbers that you threw out, like the seventy-three cents versus the ninety-six cents, I, I think most people on the left would would care about those seventy-three cents. And and how much of that can be justified on like moral grounds? I, I don't know. It, it would depend on who you ask, but it w there wouldn't necess necessarily have to be any any gap justified on moral grounds. There could there could be. I mean, well, whatever whatever the best study we could come up with to show what the gap actually is, I would be I'm sure both of us would be very interested to know what that number actually is, to know how big of a problem this is. But well, well if we just if we just look at the 73 cents, I don't get what's wrong with that number. I think well, it doesn't it doesn't account for things that need to be accounted for. Like well, for one, 
there's a disproportionate amount. This is actually a recent example I heard. There's a dis- disproportionate amount of men who do dangerous jobs like, I don't know, the example was guys who skateboard down really, really high ramps and make YouTube videos and get paid for that. Like they're, they're stunt men, basically. The reason that there are more men in a field like that is purely just choice and it's not systemic oppression. Like men are willing to take on more danger in that area and I would say it's pretty stupid for them to do that. Like that's not a smart thing to do with your life. There's a lot of physical costs to doing that and women are just smart enough to not do that as much. We don't need equality in people who do dangerous skateboarding stunts. If men want to do that more than yeah. women because they're dumb enough to do it, then by all means, they should keep doing it more than women. And women shouldn't start; they they shouldn't be encouraged to go into that field. So, like, I think no, I, there's not I there's not a lot of bad extreme. Encourage men to it could be good to encourage men to leave that field. And yes, go for equality <laughs> that way. It could be, but, but um, that would be a separate point to encourage that that field exists in a lower capacity than it exists. Yeah, but. But, but but even in uh, even the stuff that you're regarding as choice, I think there are good feminist arguments to why even those things are problematic, and those things shouldn't be. Even though they are choices, they still exist in a. They're pushed. They're they're nudged in a way, like towards towards those things. Like women are nudged by society away from choosing majors in the hard sciences throughout their lives, and that's something that's really deeply ingrained that. That, that justifies saying the pay gap number, or or if it's not seventy three cents, if you account for the dangerous men, then it's seventy five cents. But even if you just focus on your dangerous jobs example, like there there are feminists also that in Finland there's a military conscription still, and there are there are some feminists that that it's only mandatory for for boys, but there, there are some that want. Want it to be mandatory for for women also, but I, I think a lot of a lot of progressives don't share that sentiment. But but it's it's a somewhat it's not a black and white issue. I think yeah, that, that's a weird, I, I think it's kind of like no, that the military example is very strange because you can imagine that being a right wing position to want to force women to go into the army, and you're saying it as though it's a left wing position, which I, I mean it it sounds like it is in Finland, but. Well, it's, it's both. It's both. I, it might be more of a right wing one, but there, there are there are some like feminists that would that would say that would say that, that it it should women should be there also. Right. That's like a different branch of feminism, I guess. Yeah. There's. Um, I guess there's certain ones that are there. Are, there are certain branches that are more are more radical than others. But back to the to the pay gap thing. If if the number that people think exists. I think what it is is that the number that's being being used is being classified with a different meaning than what it actually is. So the impression given from the 73 cents thing, and we keep calling it 73, it could it could be a different number. I, I'm pretty sure it's in the 70s, okay. though. I, I don't know that that's fact. Yeah. But it's being associated with it being just fully based on sexism in the workplace. Maybe that's not giving the benefit of the doubt enough to people who are using that number, but I think that I think that's largely what's happening is that it's being misapplied. If you want to refer to 73 or whatever it is 
and then give the caveats that go with that where, okay, it it might be in the 80s or something if we accounted for things that were just choices, like not the things where they're choices, but they're sort of forced and encouraged choices, where it's just based on the fact that women literally have different interests on average than men do. If you accounted for those sorts of things that aren't better or worse, it's just, you know, men like dealing with money more, I don't, whatever the specific things are, men are men are more interested in things and women are more interested in people. Like that's not better or worse for either. Well, you're never, yeah, but you're never going to get to one of those. It's going to be very hard to get to one of any of those choices as like isolating the, the effects of society on shaping those choices. It's going to be always be very hard to do that. But I get, I get what you're saying anyway. Like the fact that they're, that people are saying it's, it's, it's entirely a hundred percent a conscious direct, like sexism, like right. I get where I get the issues there. Right. So it's a statistic being applied in a way that the statistic isn't accurately meant to be used in. And it makes it seem as though a lot of these positions that people have are self-evident when they're really not. They're just, I mean, they might be directionally accurate, but they're, they're a lot more complicated than we think a lot of the time. And at the very least, it makes it more reasonable to have an argument on the other side. It doesn't make the other side of the argument a right one. Like if you, if you think that there's no sexism in the workplace, you're pretty much just wrong about that. But if you're arguing that there's not that much, well, even if you can quantify what that, what that would mean, like what you mean by not that much, what percent or whatever number that is, um, there's more merit to an argument like that. I think, I think what it is is that we shouldn't assume that that's a bad person who would make that argument and they might be, but not necessarily. And people tend to assume that, other people who are on those sides of arguments are are bad people. And it I guess this is what we were talking about at the beginning, but I just I think it's really dysfunctional that we do that all the time. Yeah, I think it definitely could be an issue because I, I would see someone like you criticizing someone for using the seventy whatever cents. 40, 40 cents for what was the number? It, it won't be in the show notes. <laughs> It'll be that's for sure. Ten ten cents on the dollar that women make. Yeah, that's that's what I think it is. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much what it is, and and uh, and there'll be some. I could see you criticizing someone for like uh, getting a detail wrong, and then they would attack you because they would think that you're you're like part of the uh, the, the rights, and you you like you don't care about women's equality. Right. This um, unnamed they, disembodied person would certainly accuse me of that if I were to say. Oh no! You're saying it's seventy-three cents. It's actually more like eighty-five. And they would say, "Oh, you're such a fascist for responding that way." Like this. This is how that would play out, most likely. This. It's how. I mean, if you read whatever random Facebook threads you have on your timeline, there. Are, there's a lot of stuff that looks just like this. Definitely. Yeah, and and they would be wrong. They would be wrong in your case. You, you actually care. Well, you you really care about the truth, and and um, I think you perceive like insidious societal consequences for not telling the truth we have established norms where um argument rhetoric becomes more important than truth so so you have your reasons for doing this but but you would be attacked as as part of a movement that you don't represent and and that's an issue but i think i think oftentimes well i think oftentimes they well they i think they would be right most of the time when when someone is criticizing them like that i think nine times out of ten they would be coming from a place of just kind of like someone that's really opposed to women's, they're opposed to women's equality and they don't really care about that issue at all. And, and so they, it wouldn't be as good faith necessarily, or they would just be putting down their argument, but most people wouldn't be, they wouldn't be attacking the argument 
for the same reasons as you are. Yeah, um, even if it's – that's an important point though because even if it's not 9 out of 10, let's say it's 7 out of 10 or whatever, I don't I don't know how many people are it, are saying things genuinely and people are just wanting to be argumentative because I, I'm certainly not immune to disagreeing with people just because I don't like their position or I don't like the way they said it and I just want to make them feel worse. Like it, it's, it's a natural human tendency to want to have an argument with someone – who said something in a way that upset you and it's not the <laughs> argument itself. You just want, you want to attack them. People can be confrontational sometimes for no reason. Maybe I had a shitty day and I just feel like taking it out on a random person on the internet. Um, I would say I'm very, very guarded against that. And maybe at some point in my past, I wasn't as guarded. Like, I, I don't think I do that ever now, but the, the, um, yeah, the feeling to want to do that. That's a thing that, I think most people experience at some point or another, the feeling to want to just criticize other people for basically no reason. And to, to be, to be someone who's just being mean for what just, you know, want to make someone's life worse. And it's not for the argument itself. You're just trying to make someone's life worse, but it's dangerous for the person on the other end, the person who is being criticized by me in this case or whoever, um, the person who's being criticized about their initial statistics for them to just say, oh, yeah, nine out of ten times the person I'm talking to is in bad faith and I'm just going to assume that, you know, the law, like by probability that I'm going to be right about that. So I'll just assume that because it's 90 percent, this person more likely than not is doing this just to be an asshole. Like, that's a really dangerous thing. We, we really should take this case by case. And when you're talking to someone, actually try to figure out if they mean what they say and they're trying to make the world better and they just have a different viewpoint than you, even if most of the time they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Because especially when you don't know somebody very well, if you're always assuming that people are are acting with bad intentions, it just makes the world a worse place. And this seems, I mean, it's easier on the internet to behave this way because you don't have to put a face behind what you're saying. Um, so I don't know how yeah. pervasive this would be in a face-to-face -face interaction, but at least on the internet, it seems like this is what people do. They just assume that whoever's disagreeing with their, their righteous position is acting in bad faith. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I think in certain instances, it's the internet is so public and, and uh, like Twitter or a, a Reddit thread, like the world is kind of watching you and there's likes and upvotes and shit. So it becomes harder, I think, than in a face-to-face -face interaction. And, and I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that, that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't assume sort of. But, I, but I think you can't really help but not uh, be at least, at least be guarded because, in hopes of not being naive, like if you're going to post a statistic like that, statistic like that, and then you get attacked by someone who thinks that sexism doesn't exist, or it seems like that. I mean, you should be open to revising your views if you see that they actually are. They're just interested in, in truth or something, but but I, I think there's a difference between. I still think it's okay to like react based on what information you have. I think we agree here. Like it's fair to have doubts about people who are expressing a viewpoint that normally is associated with being immoral, but the skepticism should be healthier. You should be open to the idea that they aren't immoral. Like even if you want to have that as your starting point, at least give them the chance to prove that they aren't acting in, in with these bad intentions. And I think people are very closed off to that because it's, it's kind of a life hack. Like we don't have time 
to assess if every person that we talk to, and especially how often people interact on the internet now, you're having you're having more communication with more people for more time, and you need shortcuts. And that's really tempting to just you know make these generalizations and just move past certain things that it seems like the case is closed. But it it it's always more complicated than that. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I mean, if if you post something about pay gap and then someone immediately responds like with harsh criticism, I think you have enough information there to assume that they're they're at least like your ideological opposition on this particular issue, and it's okay to hold that view. It's, it's like practical to hold that view at least until they until they give you some sort of reason to not. But but generally, I, I, yeah, I think if, if it's if it's a more open-ended thing, then it makes, I mean, it's good to be open to understand their point of view. And I think that goes the other way, too. If you're going to be the one to criticize um, someone putting a unqualified 73 cents pig out out there, um, to also try to understand why they put the full number there. Because it isn't always... Uh, it isn't always because it's good marketing. They, they they might actually think that that's the that number it captures um, all the important stuff, and, and that's the number that that that's important for like society to to care about. That's the issue to fix. It's not just um, it's not just a pay gap within the same job, like female CEOs getting paid as much as male CEOs. It's 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 more than that. Yeah, I guess. I, it doesn't seem like that's normally what's happening, but I, I guess that that could be at least some of the time what's happening. But well, well like like I I would see I could see myself like liking or or retweeting something like that, like the unqualified one. Mm-hmm. Um and, and perhaps perhaps your version of it, your ideal version of it would be um well it's it's seventy three cents, but it's like 10 cents of the gap is because of um, choices of degree to, uh, and yeah, I, w- I wouldn't want it to be one number. I would want some like big chart of it broken down very specifically into what, what portions are based on what problems and what things that aren't problems. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that's fair, but I don't think it's, I think, I think it's good to be aware of that as a citizen. I think it's, it's good to be, know, it's good to know which parts come from which places, because if you're going to, combat that issue it's not enough just to show show like make everyone at work attend a a sexual harassment seminar because that's not uh, or or like sexism seminar just from a practical perspective that's not going to fix the whole thing you also have to understand why women are making choices given their societal structure, why they're making certain choices, for example, for like softer sciences and and jobs with more social interaction, but also why are those jobs rewarded less than, than finance speculation jobs? Why is, why does society like them? I think all that stuff matters and it's good to be aware of that stuff. But at the same time, I do think people on the left could be posting oftentimes in good faith, the whole 27 cents is an issue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would be impractical to have a multivariate analysis about everything all the time. There's just no one, <laughs> people wouldn't understand. There's not enough time to do that. And yeah, it would be, it would just be, everything would be very confusing and overly mathematical and hard to understand. But 
the the thing that the thing that <laughs> yeah. bothers me, and I guess it's something when we sort of talk about it, you kind of get upset with me for this this view on it because it comes from kind of like the intellectual dark web people. How the left is uh, more reactive. Uh, not those people. Yeah, those those guys, those uh, crazy people. <laughs> no, those super rational people that sometimes I don't know. I don't want to classify them, but. Like something Dave, Rubin, <laughs> something Dave Rubin, for example, will say all the time is that the left gives the benefit of the doubt less often than the right does. So in the example of, you know, posting an article on Facebook about the pay gap, um, if someone someone who's very liberal posts that and I criticize it, they're going to assume more regularly that I'm in bad faith compared to the opposite example, where like if I post something like that, or maybe not me because I'm a I. I, I don't know. I'm a I'm an individual example here, but let's say someone who's just a conservative person posts an article like that talking about how the pay gap is overblown, and then they get feedback from someone who's very liberal saying why it's wrong. The, I feel like the conservative person, and at least this is what the IDW people argue, the conservative person is not assuming that the person arguing with them has bad intentions nearly as much as in the other way. Like the conservative person doesn't assume that the liberal person is, ha, is ill motivated. They just think that that person's wrong. So the, it, it does seem like conservative people are more willing to have discussions than liberal people is my point. And I don't, I don't think this in some definitive way, like I'm open to the idea that I'm wrong about that. But this is, this is how it seems, I guess. And obviously, I don't have a great sample on this. I don't know every person in the country. I haven't done a survey on this. I don't. This is just from my experience how it seems. So I'm just. I'm wondering if if you think I'm totally off base there, or just it could be true, and there's just not enough evidence to say. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that why that would be why why it would be that conservatives would be more open than liberals or vice versa. You have certain impression from your experience. Uh, it's not an impression I have from my experience. I, I think there it could be partially because. Well, I'll hold on. Just to idea. just to interject something. It's open in a specific way. It's open to the idea that the person they're arguing with is is trying to do is trying to go for the same goals they're going for. Like open to the idea that the other person has good intentions, basically not open to changing their mind. Like that would be the opposite of what conservatives generally are like. I just mean open <laughs> to discussing yeah. the other person's ideas more, even if they won't be convinced by the other person's ideas, no matter what, even if they're totally dogmatic about their own ideas, just the act of being open to discussion. I feel like conservatives are at least nowadays more open to that. I think there's, well, I think there's a tendency maybe I, well, again, I don't, I don't, I have no reason to think that this is, is true, but, but if it was true, I, I think it could be because of the tendency that for conservatives to see leftists as like just naive, like they're trying to they have these overly idealistic views. But I think the ideas themselves are more obviously tied to, it's like more intuitive and obvious that the left ideas are, are trying to achieve certain goals where the conservative ones are inherently more, um, it's less, it's less intuitive. The idea that everyone pursue, pursuing their own self-interest to the maximum and maximizing selfishness is, is going to raise, um, social welfare 
for all of society, which is like the basic uh, American libertarian Tea Party Republican sort of, well, not even Tea Party. It's like the mainstream Republican view. The Republican Party is just radical at this point. No, I'm, but, I'm, but no, no, I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm really happy because I want to, I want to cut you off to agree with it because yeah. I'm, I'm happy you made this point because it's actually like this would be my biggest criticism of someone like Dave Rubin is that he implies that the ideas on both sides are equal. And they're while they're not right and wrong, it's not like the liberals are always right and conservatives are always wrong, but there's more of a tendency for liberal ideas to be better ideas. And because of that, it's you give like conservatives will give liberal ideas more credit because the ideas themselves are better are better and on the other side, it's harder to give credit to a conservative yeah. idea when it's just so off base. So no, I'm totally with you on yeah. that. I don't think it explains the entirety. Yeah. I don't think it explains the entirety of the phenomenon, but I think it explains a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that um, I'm glad you can see the logic in it. Also, I think I think that makes sense to me at least. And and even if the conservative ideas are right, that we should just be self interested, and that's going to end up being the best thing for everyone. Even if that idea is, is somehow right, which it's it's not. But but even if it was. It, it still would be counterintuitive in terms of I still I still somehow think it would be more open to skepticism than the other side just because of the counterintuitive nature of it. Yeah, I mean, there's a part of libertarianism that's very intuitive how it would work. Also, if, you know, if you only hear one side of something, it can be made to sound intuitive almost no matter what. I think. I mean, if it's if it's very radical, then it's gonna it's it's gonna sound really off base i guess no matter what but for anything that's remotely reasonable if you only hear one side of the argument then that can seem intuitive intuitions are kind of a bad metric i guess no but but it's a little different with republican ideology i think because the ideology is so uniquely anti-intervention and pro the rich it's only pro like like 10 percent of society like at best economically and it happens to to glorify greed and self-interest so the fact that they're glorifying greed while also um getting a lot of the benefits for it i think i think it inspires a different amount of skepticism than a lot of democratic ideas um like universal universal health care and, and education for example that would actually benefit certainly the median voter and a large swath of, of society it's less obviously self-interested. Well, I guess I should give a more specific example where it's not. Let's take um, let's take minimum wage. If you only if this is all you heard was that if minimum wage is raised, then employers will have less reason to hire people, and people will lose jobs because it's more expensive for employers to hire them, and minimum wage actually hurts employment numbers for poor people. That's an argument that's made all the time. And let's say you didn't know the other side of the story. That seems rather intuitive, right? Like, am I crazy to think that that on its own is a sensible argument? I mean, obviously, there are a lot of other factors. And I'm sure you could explain in in less than a minute why that's very foolish to just only look at that part of it. But do you at least agree that if you only knew that side of it, it would seem like it was intuitive? Um... I guess, in a sense, but not 
it, it wouldn't necessarily if if the argument was coming from only rich like mostly from the rich party and ended up benefiting like a very small portion of the population knowing the sources of the argument it would be harder to it would be harder to buy I no, mean, but are, without the sources, though, that just the argument on its own merit, it sounds like it would benefit a lot of the population. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess. I mean, it's a re- it's a reasonable th- theory for sh- sure that, that that's what would happen. But I think once you frame it in a, a little bit wider context, it, it becomes more. Uh, it would become more confusing, and, and it would be a little bit. It would be a, it would be hard to believe, like the fact that. The federal minimum wage has been like, um, I don't know, eight eight dollars something for since like the seventies, and it hasn't even kept up with inflation. I, I think that that fact alone destroys the other minimum wage fact, and even the idea that the, the whole idea against a minimum wage comes from the same greed endorsing economics that that people are paid what they're worth on the labor market. And that idea isn't even valid. Um, it's, it's valid in neoliberal economics in uh, a model of the economy that is nothing like the actual economy. It's like a model where there's no monopolies and where um, this is Paul Samuelson, the, the, uh, he's, a, he's a famous American neoliberal economist, one of the, I guess one of the, or neoclassical, um, I guess one of the found founders and he, he says that this um the idea that you're only worth you get paid what your the marginal value of your labor um only holds if in a society where a benevolent dictator redistributes the, the wealth to maximize social welfare like every so often so only in only in that economy does is there no not necessity for minimum wage where there's a a fantasy benevolent dictator that's maximizing social welfare so everyone is in their best spot only in that economy does does um this dogma hold that that uh everyone should well that there wouldn't necessarily need to be a minimum wage so i um, i agree with you on all of that but i think it's kind of it's kind of a different point like i think it's a bit beside the point because you you know too much about this to grant the initial premise by itself like you know how wrong it is already, so I want. It's not that you're biased. You just have you have all the correct information already. So maybe that's the wrong example, but I still think it's important yeah. to note that most people, or I, I guess not most people, there are people who don't have any of this wider framing, and if they just heard the core argument about how minimum wage would actually hurt jobs, they could be convinced by it. Like all I'm asking you to do is imagine that people could be convinced by that for. Like a poor person could be convinced that this is better for them. I mean, we've talked about this, maybe not on podcasts, but we've talked about it a lot, how people vote against their own interests all the time because they're wrong about what would be good for them. That's, that's kind of all I'm going for here. Yes, certainly. It's a reasonable, it is a reasonable like argument of cause and effect. And like intuitively it it makes sense. Um, I think a lot of the, but I think the argument originates in these Republican think tanks that are, are like, not being reasonable or not, or, I mean, it's aligned with their ideology, but I think they're treating the economy like a, a perfect world, a perfect model of the economy rather than what it actually is. But, but I think for, yeah, for a regular person, it, it's, it's, uh, it's reasonable. Yeah. And I think some studies do find, um, small, 
trade-off, a, a small trade-off to employment. Right, but all the, no all of this should be, it should be proof or evidence to the point that intuitions about the fact that you had to give so much detail about something that seems like it's intuitive, but it's actually not very intuitive at all. There's a lot, and maybe to you it's intuitive now because you have some expertise in this, but I think there are a lot of examples of things like this where our intuitions are very wrong about what, what right and wrong is in terms of not just policies, but just what the right thing, you know, morals, I think. There, there's no reason to assume that human intuition is that closely aligned with what the most practical and useful things to do are. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that in a general sense. I, I, I do. But I think at, at the same time, if you just focus on uh, mainstream Republican ideology versus like, a leftist ideology, when um, someone has an ideology that's so self-serving, then it, it's going to naturally bring more skepticism. Yeah, I think that's fair. I still think that that holds, yeah. Yes, I think, but a lot of the time you don't know how self-serving someone's idea is. Like if you dig into their background and you can see how this directly benefits them and you know what their ideology is, then you can kind of connect the dots and say, all right, something's a little fishy here. They, they believe this thing that they're saying is good for the world, but actually you can clearly draw the line where this helps them individually. And so I should be skeptical that they believe this thing, not really for the reason that they're saying, like, I'm totally with that, but we, we're absent that information most of the time. Like you don't always know how something is helping somebody who's talking about it. We don't know the background of every person we communicate with. That's certainly true, but but a lot of times you can you can know if it's a politician, then you would then you would automatically know, and if it's even if it's a podcaster like Dave Rubin, for example, who he's he's financed by Charles Koch, the richest uh, Republican Tea Party donor. I'm actually I'm not even sure then, how. Uh, do you know this is I guess a separate point? Do you know how long he's been financed before financed for by them? Because I think he was independent for a while, and that might be a recent thing. I don't. I don't know. I just and and to his just, credit, if, if it's true that they picked him up along the way, I can attest to him not having changed his stances at any point. He's said the same things throughout. So unless he's been catering to them from the beginning, like it. There, there's no clear line where someone started funding him from like a right wing ideology and he changed his stances politically because of that. Like he's had his same political stances forever. Yeah, definitely. But it, it would be that he, he, he got funding because he has those stances. Okay. So the fact that the fact that he's receiving the, the, the fact that he's receiving funding from, from that. And I don't know how long it's been. Um, and I don't know how, how substantial it is. The, the Wikipedia note says that it um, that his podcast is funded entirely by a foundation whose biggest donor is it's a libertarian foundation think, think tank whose biggest donor is is Coke Charles Coke. I, I don't know I don't know the extent of it exactly, but but it, I, I don't think he would be receiving. Just knowing that alone makes me. I, I would expect him to be having these sort of libertarian ideas or else he wouldn't be getting, if he didn't have those ideas, he wouldn't have been chosen in the first place. So it's not like he's just all of a sudden, he has no integrity and he's changing his views. I, I just think that's why he's receiving it. But, but also in, in terms of Ruben, uh, it seems like he doesn't actually reveal his, 
ideas that much on most things. Like he seems like he does mostly, um, he's listening more than he's, than he's revealing, giving his own ideas. So, yeah. His show is more of an interview so I, show. It might be revealed. Like Joe Rogan or Sam Harris. Yeah. Like he's so it might be revealed. I, I would think it'd be revealed more in his audience choices than, than anything possibly. Yeah. He, um, he does say on occasion, like he does give a firm declaration of his stance on a certain thing. Some of the time, like it's not, it's not always obvious. I watch him enough where I've heard him say like he's pro-choice and he's for, um, he obviously believes in climate change and whatever the other things are. And he's for limited government. So like if you, you classify him wherever you want, but he, he lists out his positions Andrew Yang style. Sometimes he does go through the checklist of everything he thinks every once in a while. Yeah. If anyone's, if anyone is listening is confused about the Andrew Yang style reference. If you go to his website (laughs) and look at all of his political viewpoints, they it's like he's been, he's been just notating them for his entire life. It's a very long list. Yeah. It's like a, like 200 ideas in no order at all. Some of them are very like progressive and forward thinking ideas. And then some of them are like ideas you would expect from any like business major you went to, like business frat bro you went to school with. Who like he's like yeah we're gonna get rid of pennies. We're gonna make uh, we're gonna make filling out taxes easier, or you don't even have to do it. Something like that. Just like these these like libertarian in a way pet peeves and and libertarian in, in like sort of um yeah I guess in the sense that there's like some bureaucracy that not in a bad way he's got he has real ideas there too it's um he'll have like lgbt equality right next to like free laundry machines for everybody (laughs) yeah next yeah next to uh uh, get rid of pennies i guess (laughs) so should we um should we end on this and go back to uh making our lists of everything we've ever thought i kind of like that laundry one there. yeah wait what um what is that exactly oh no one has to pay uh it's like Bernie yeah, everyone, Sanders everyone free college. Everyone has a list of everything that they ever, yeah, ever thought. Just in case they decide to run for president one day, um, it's our theory to Andrew Yang's uh, collection of ideas on his website. I don't think any of the other candidates have one, but maybe it's maybe those theirs are just secret. What what other like uh, generally accepted societal pet peeves are there that we could add to Andrew Yang's list? That he is against, that he wants to correct for. Yeah, but I'm not saying what he actually is against. I'm saying oh, like, sure. are like there any that, other that we can think of? Um, let's see. He maybe he wants to end traffic. Traffic's pretty annoying. Yeah, traffic's annoying. He definitely would. End. There's probably one about traffic. He's running on an anti-traffic that. platform. That would be an, an amusing one for him to have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also. Uh, there should there should be dishwashers in every every home. No more wa- washing the dishes should be outlawed, and maybe making a bed could also be like a, there could be a tax on making your bed. <laughs> to make it or to not make it? Are you trying to incentivize bed making or make it so we don't have to? I would rather t- tax uh, people that want to make it. They ha- they have to pay like a little tax, so they they know that they um they realize that their time has a value. Well. I don't make my bed and I don't get any, I don't have to pay to do it either. So that's an easy one. That's probably the case for most people. <laughs> All right. So if the democracy, if only our two votes counted, 
there would be a making the bed tax. Fine. In the, in the that, U.S. That, yeah, uh, that'll that'll be a thing.